giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Hina Parohit, product manager of IBM Watson IoT. Hina, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Chad. It's exciting to be in person with guests all the time in Boston studio, and I can't always do that, so thank you very much for coming in. No, I am local, so I wanted to take this opportunity to get get here, meet you in person, Mm -hmm. and I guess speak to you face-to-face. So local, where are IBM's offices? So we have multiple offices Mm -hmm. in the Boston area. We have two offices in Cambridge, and we have one office in Littleton, Massachusetts. Okay. And which one do you work from? I work out of Littleton and Cambridge. You switch back and forth? Yes. Is the rest of your team there, or are you working with people all over in IBM? So IBM, 300,000 plus people. So you can imagine we have a highly global team. So a few of our development team members are in China. So we do have an offshore team. We have sales and marketing people that are all over the world as well, supporting different geos. So on calls... More than more often than I'd like mm-hmm. to be, sometimes. So, do you travel, or you work mostly remotely with those folks? I travel when it comes to customer engagements. Every time I get the chance, I want to go visit a customer, see what their problem is, see how our solution best fits, and then see how it's being adopted by them. So, mm-hmm. I I try and visit as many customers as I can across the world. Mm-hmm. So, as product manager for IBM Watson IoT, what does that encompass? the IoT part, and how, do you have interaction with the rest of Watson groups? The way Watson IoT was formed was there are a lot of people out in the market, our competitors, that are really good at IoT. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of our competitors that are really good at AI. Mm-hmm. But there was a blue space because there weren't a lot of people that leveraged the data from IoT, from other systems. So took all of this data and ran the analytics, did the AI behind it, to make it a fit for the industrial segment. Mm -hmm. So that's where Watson IoT has its sweet spot because we take all of the cool stuff that you see in IBM Watson's team, Mm -hmm. we take all of our Watson technologies, we take our analytics. IBM has a broad research team as well. Since since the past five years, we've we've produced a number of, most number of patents in the world. Mm -hmm. So then we take the analytics and the assets produced by our research team and we say, we look at ways that we could productize them to solve a particular business problem. Mm-hmm. So that's what Watson IoT does. It takes these technologies and applies them to solve a problem for industrial customers. Mm-hmm. And I know that you can't talk about all of your customers, but can you give <laughs> maybe a concrete example of one where you can talk about it, what you're doing? Sure. So um, f- as an example, we worked for the U.S. Army. Mm-hmm. The challenges that the Army was facing and this particular regiment was facing was we had, they have battle vehicles, the strikers, mm-hmm. if you know of them. I No, not so, really. So, okay, so strikers are these um, these battle tank-like machines. Yeah. I want you to think of them as that. And then, as you can imagine, these regiments are in the middle of nowhere and mm-hmm. the regiment troops, they move from one to another Mm-hmm. quite frequently. So while you have this extremely complex machines, you don't always have the right skills and expertise of technicians to actually have that expertise to fix those striker vehicles. So um, the challenge that the Army was facing was mission readiness. So the Army wanted a view of what the health of the strikers actually is. Mm-hmm. Are these prone to fail anytime soon? And then... If they do fail, 
are we performing the right fix? Are we repairing it correctly so that it doesn't fail another time? Mm-hmm. So what we did was, and these strikers, they had, think of it, they had a black box, similar right. to the way you have in airplanes, which, mm-hmm. which captured many different sensor readings. But all of this data was lying unused. Mm-hmm. So what we did was, we took all the sensor data, and we're now talking more than 5 billion historical sensor readings. We took their maintenance history about how many times has the striker been repaired? Did it ever fail? What was performed to fix mm-hmm. it? So we took all the all their maintenance data. We combined that to actually find patterns and try to predict what the health score of the striker is and if the striker is going to fail anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And in instances where the health score of the striker or any other component within the striker right. failed, we looked at that information about the component that's failed, combined that with our ability to search tremendous amounts of structured and unstructured data. So we looked at striker manuals. They had standardized processes that they liked their technicians to follow. Then we looked at what was done in the past, so maintenance logs. And we looked at all of this knowledge base of unstructured documents and tried to come up with what the best repair recommendation should be for the technician. Mm -hmm. So what we ended up doing for them was we monitored the health score of these strikers, trying to predict if they're going to fail and if at any point, these were going to fail. We provided recommendations on what action the technician should take. So whether he should service it, whether he should replace a part. And that's how we helped them be mission ready. Right. So that strikes me as the perfect application for machine learning or artificial intelligence. You have that huge data set with patterns that you can find and and that kind of thing. In terms of the IBM Watson technology, How much work is involved in getting that data and actually putting it in Watson so that you can start getting data out? That's a great question, Chad, because we get asked that by customers Mm -hmm. all the time. So as you can know, with any AI and machine learning, there is a form of supervised learning that's done. Mm -hmm. But the reason where we differentiate is because we in Watson IoT, we've been serving customers across different segments from travel and transportation to aviation to automotive for years. So we have that industry expertise. So what we do is we work with our development partners. So we co-create with a lot of our customers and try to come up with an out-of-the-box model that's fit for, let's say, the ENU industry Mm -hmm. or a particular asset class, such as a particular type of centrifugal pumps. So we create out-of-the-box models, which is a way for our customers to jumpstart their Mm -hmm. journey into AI and analytics. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to start from scratch. We do a bit of the training for them. And then what they do is think of that as the meta-model layer. They -hmm. they have to, um, the AI is refined based on implementation on that customer's field to make sure that the the responses are accurate to Mm -hmm. what they want. Mm -hmm. And in terms of deployment, is this entirely in the cloud? A lot of our industrial customers Mm -hmm. still have very regulated data requirements. And this is standard across the board. Mm -hmm. So we do have a lot of our solutions on the cloud. In fact, we see an increasing number of customers that want to take their on-premise solutions and move them to the cloud. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a lot of migration, but there is still a a chunk of the market that wants that on-premise. So we have three different options, that deployment options that we use most often. We use the on-premise and the SaaS-only options, and then we also are moving towards the hybrid model. So as product manager, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. What does your role encompass? So I look at what are our customers' biggest problems. Mm-hmm. Can we create solutions to solve those particular problems? So I look at very specific focus areas. Mm-hmm. And to give you an example, the first product that I was working on when we were, when I joined the team was a visual inspection solution for helping quality control. So I went to a lot of our customers and saw that they actually still have factory workers actually inspecting each part. So there was this one contact lens company where in order to inspect and make sure that each lens was accurate, Mm -hmm. they had seven workers on one assembly line, each of them picking up the contact lens, looking at it from different angles and putting it back. Mm -hmm. So it is a highly manual process. Since all they're doing is inspecting it, can we instead of having a human, have a camera take an image from multiple different angles Mm -hmm. so that with some degree of probability, you can tell whether this contact lens in this Mm -hmm. example meets your quality requirements or not. So that this technician, this factory worker, who now you need seven of them to look at one lens, you can just have one person looking at the ones which you are less confident about, Mm -hmm. inspecting that instead of inspecting each and every one of them. Mm So is that a case where they're a customer and they're coming to you saying, we have this problem or we'd like to apply something here? Or is it you seeking out? It's actually both ways. Mm -hmm. So there are times when we have excellent relationships. So we have a product called IBM Maximo, which has been a market leader for years now. So that's an EAM system. So think of that as... um, I don't like to call it a data collection layer, but Mm -hmm. that's um, used for maintenance and repair records. So all of your information about a particular equipment, all of the maintenance that's done on that equipment, any work order that was created in the factory, what's your inventory stock. So all of that is being tracked already through IBM Maximum. Oh, okay. So, and we have deep penetration across different industries mm-hmm. because because of the solution. So we can leverage the mm-hmm. relationships that we have already. So it's been both ways. So a lot of times we go to our customers that we have good relationships with, and which is where the co-creation part comes in place, mm-hmm. which is where when we think that this problem is something which would be applicable to customers across let's say, the energy and utilities industry. We try and see and find ways that we can productize something like that. Of course, with keeping the customer's data isolated. So one of our value props versus a Google or other leading tech companies mm-hmm. is that the data that the customer has is theirs only. So we never use their data to even train our AI models, make our industry models smarter. So we do that independently, which is where... I guess a lot of our customers prefer us over other vendors. So how did you end up in the position that you you have now? So my undergrad was in telecommunications engineering. Mm-hmm. So I worked on IoT solutions, even without knowing there was a term called mm-hmm. Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. Back home, which was in Mumbai, I created a traffic and flood monitoring system for the government of Mumbai. So I, I had that IoT background When I joined Accenture as a business analyst, I worked with Fortune 500 companies and trying to understand their requirements, design solutions that met those requirements. And then a natural transition for me after that role was doing my MBA. So it was more of... Why why was it a natural transition to go from that to your MBA? Um, So my pet peeve with the consulting world was that I could design solutions that met those requirements 
but I could never see the end tail of it. Like mm-hmm. I could never see this being executed. How how is this being adopted? How is it being really used? Mm-hmm. Did we meet everything we um, recommended or uh, projected? So I wanted to create something of my own and take it to execution. Like see how it's responding in the market. I trade, so it's the whole. Mm-hmm. I always had not the entrepreneurial streak, but the entrepreneurial streak mm-hmm. in me. So. I realized that there was a lot of skills that I was missing. So I didn't have the finance knowledge. I didn't have this, the knowledge of how marketing works. So I didn't have this, the business acumen to look at different functions and understand the, uh, these different areas. So for me, the next step to become a product manager was to fill that skill gap that I sensed. So the natural next step was getting an MBA mm-hmm. to fill, I guess, build my business acumen. Mm-hmm. And during my MBA, I came across the Watson IoT team. So when I learned about some of the cool stuff they were doing, I was like, can I get an internship? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I would recommend that. I would recommend an internship for anyone who wants to get their hands dirty in an area that is unknown. At that time, IoT was just taking off. Mm-hmm. The fact that I was in an area which is growing so rapidly and is so new mm-hmm. that it has its own set of unique challenges was very exciting. So I loved my time at Watson IoT, and then they gave me an offer to mm-hmm. come back after my MBA. So I didn't have that industrial skill. So initially when I joined, I did have that initial learning curve. But the more I found out about our customers, the unique problems they were having, I was fascinated by them. So think of, think of an airline. Mm-hmm. An airline does 100,000 trips a year. Mm-hmm. If you reduce their maintenance costs by just 1%, that's billion-dollar savings for the company right there. Mm-hmm. So Not to mention other savings, like the savings of the time of all the passengers when something's delayed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's probably huge potential savings. Yes. So I was fascinated by how much impact you can have, and not just directly, but uh-huh. also indirectly on the company and also other companies. So I, I've i been hooked on to this, mm-hmm. um, this world, and I'm glad. In terms of the MBA, of you finished it, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Are you happy that you did that? Yes. What did you learn or what happened that surprised you? So think of the MBA as something which gives you a little bit of everything at a very accelerated pace. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, you're learning all of the theoretical knowledge about these different functions. And then the opportunities to implement it were some things that I had to find on my own. Mm -hmm. So what surprised me was that my best learning was not just through the MBA courses, but supplementing the MBA courses with case competitions, Mm -hmm. with startup pitch competitions. So we actually left our MBA with our own IoT security startup. Mm. We formed a team. We started our own company. That experience gave me so much more knowledge. So it's about making sure you have the practical side of things, making sure you experiment and Mm -hmm. get your hands dirty and Try different things mm-hmm. beyond just what the curriculum teaches you is, is what surprised me. So do you feel like you're using what you learned in your MBA on a regular basis now in your role? Yes, I am because the MBA also teaches you like the jargon or what, er- what uh-huh. things you should be looking out for. There are times when I go back to my frameworks and just make sure that I'm looking at all different areas that I should be looking at? Is there something I'm overlooking? Mm-hmm. So it just gives you a way of thinking about things, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. Is there anything along that journey that you might do differently knowing what you know now? If I had to do something differently, I would make sure I'm also focusing on the soft skills side mm-hmm. of things. As a product manager, I am 
um not just communicating with many different teams but also negotiating mm-hmm. different parts coaching different team members so i'm doing a lot more i guess i'm implementing my leadership skills a lot more mm-hmm. than i was during business school so at business school i would i would also recommend anyone to make sure they're looking at the soft side of things the, mm-hmm. those soft skills which people often overlook and ask yourself if you're growing on those soft skills mm-hmm. side as well so what are you doing now to get better at that I'm actually reading a lot uh-huh. on for example I'm not just reading about coaching I'm also seeing how I can be more productive with my time how I can negotiate better how I can like resolve disputes in a team which I often have <laughs> to <being> better very <laughs> d- diplomatic so, yeah so do yes. you have a team that reports to you or is it I don't have a team that reports to me yeah. but it's a any product manager knows that it's a very mm-hmm. leadership by influence role yeah. so think of the sales team the sales team has a quota of 50 different solutions within Watson IT that they could be selling at any point. Right. Why should they be selling your solution? Mm-hmm. This all leads back to your numbers. Why should the marketing team that also has so many different solutions that they could be creating assets for, why will they create an mm-hmm. asset for your solution? So it's about making sure that you have good relations with these different functions because you're not a direct manager for any of them so you cannot control them but you can influence them you can give them reasons as to why they should sell your solution you can give them reasons as to how you you are willing to support them mm-hmm. and support their customer engagements a lot better so so there are things that you can do not sure if that answered your question though. no i think it does because what i'm curious about is how you mentioned you have an entrepreneurial spirit yes. not necessarily an entrepreneurial one and i i think that that's interesting so i was curious how you go about navigating the needs of your position and your role and the business inside of a larger organization so that does hit upon that i think to that point i also want to mention if you're an entrepreneur you would have a vc mm-hmm. you would so you would have investors who are continuously um funding you where you have to give them regular reports show them track records i feel the same way mm-hmm. i have um my executives that i have to even before i build a new solution i have to start with a business case mm-hmm. of why i validated this need why is this a real problem but also how will we make money so how are we providing value but how will ibm capture some of the value and mm-hmm. because we are in a business to make money right. <laughs> so how are you going to make those profit margins and then it's not about just making sure you have support from different functions so mm-hmm. and and by that i mean sales should be on board marketing should be on board support should be on board the development champions should be on board so it's not only about making sure you have the resources and build the right product but it's also about continuously giving them updates about this is my progress these are my tailwinds these are my headwinds so i keep regularly reporting to different teams and showing them my track record and proving to them as to why IBM should continue investing. Mm-hmm. So I know it's not um, right. any entrepreneur would probably disagree that it's the same thing but I feel like a lot of the skill well, sets are still the same. Well, I mean if you're a successful entrepreneur your business is probably going to grow to the point where if not you then other people in your organization need to start dealing with those things. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious how things are actually organized. So who's your boss? basically is it another product manager are you in a product management group is it organized functionally or are you part of a business so the offering management is its own team yeah it's a, as you would imagine smaller team mm-hmm. so my boss is 
a program director. Yeah. I currently work on, I mentioned AI analytics solutions, but related to asset optimization. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And while I serve a particular business problem, mm-hmm. so my manager is someone who looks at a broader set of ways that we can solve problems for the asset, for our customers related to asset optimization. Okay. So he has a broader portfolio than I do. Yeah. And that lines up to the VP of product management. Okay. So it's all, it is sort of under product management. And then it, those, each of those things is interfacing with the other parts. Yes. But because I speak to all these different functions yeah. more than I speak to my own team, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. Now, was Accenture organized the same way? Accenture is a consulting company, and most consulting companies are are organized by project. Right. So all these people working on the same project belong to the same team, report to the same manager. Yeah. But my understanding is that Accenture, you would be within sort of a business unit that's focused on not assets, but things, something like that. At Accenture, we were organized by industry because Mm -hmm. they knew once you had those industry skills, you were more valuable. So they wanted, they tried to retain people in the same industry. Even at IBM, what's an IoT is its own business unit Mm -hmm. because all of us are solving problems for industrial customers. Then you have Watson Health. You have Watson Core who just work on pure AI solutions. Mm -hmm. Then you have um, different units, of course. You have the C-Systems. You have um, research as its own unit. You have um, global business services. So that's our consulting division. They're actually Mm -hmm. organized very similar to how Accenture is organized. So we have our consulting division Mm -hmm. different and our product teams and our product business units separate. Mm -hmm. So is that a good way to organize things or do you think that it could be improved? I feel like it's a good way to organize things and I'll tell you why. Because this way, all of us can focus on solving our problems. So what's in core, for example, will work on the core AI solutions. Mm-hmm. In a way, we I feel like we are sponsor users of what they do. Mm-hmm. By being internal, we have in- advantages because we are constantly interlocked. So and interlocking is easier now than ever because you have all these different tools that you can use. Mm-hmm. We have we, we're on the same Slack channels, we're on the same AHA groups which we use for road mapping. And we're on same teams. We have regular workshops together. Mm-hmm. So there are ways that we are still connected from a strategic perspective mm-hmm. to make sure that both teams are aligned on what we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. You know, there are common problems which come with implementing and deploying AI solutions. Right. Let's take one for example. Let's let's take the example where in manufacturing our users are are used to process improvement. Mm-hmm. So we've had Six Sigma, they know lean principles. So they're used to taking five different attributes tweaking them here and there, measuring the out changes in output, doing statistical analysis to see if their predictions are working. So these people are comfortable with analyses, data-driven decisions. What they didn't have is they didn't have this environment where now instead of looking at five different variables, they have more than 500,000 variables that they could be looking at. Mm-hmm. This is where, I guess, the power of AI comes into the place because this kind of computation cannot be done by a human. Mm-hmm. So... In order to get these users who are comfortable with data-driven decisions to get used to our solution and get comfortable with our solution, they wanted to know how the solutions were being drived. 
they mm-hmm. wanted to know okay show me the evidence why you came up with this analysis not just don't just show me a conference interval because that's what everyone does today don't mm-hmm. show me how i took this problem shared that with the watson team and just one day back i can now talk about it because as a press release we've launched a tool which is a trust and transparency tool so that solution not just helps you make decisions but it also shows you all the evidence behind it mm-hmm. so i could get another team to focus on that problem while i can continue working on my problem and be able to leverage the mm-hmm. updates that they're making mm-hmm. so that way we can stay focused to what we are delivering and we can continuously keep learning and sharing information and needs with each other mm-hmm. in terms of artificial intelligence what's your perspective on where we're actually at today We've passed through the phase where we've only had early adopters want to try AI. Mm-hmm. So there was a point in time where AI was the buzzword. Mm-hmm. We've now grown past that. We're now at a stage where we need to deploy these solutions at a grander scale. Mm-hmm. So we're now moving projects from pilot to production. And in order to do that, there are a lot of hard questions that our customers ask us. So they ask us questions like show me the ROI why because our buyer is measured by a decrease right. in maintenance cost so it's tied to their KPIs so we have to justify what's the ROI that you're getting so one of the ways we started doing this is before we start any project we've now come up with a watson value framework where in our projects we define two attributes we make sure we define a project outcome because you need to make sure if the project was implemented successfully right. you need a KPI to track that and we we also have a business outcome which tracks how we are continuously working against the metric that we promised so if we are saying we'll help you reduce maintenance costs how are we progressing on that so make sure that you have both KPIs project and um, business outcomes mm-hmm. defined clearly so that's that's been one of our challenges and the second one has also been now you have different companies you have mm-hmm. everyone from startups to big organizations claiming they have ai in some cases they have in some cases they don't have any art, mm-hmm. uh, any ai and machine learning behind it so our customers now when they have a, more for liberty to choose we have to show them how our ai is better so we in our solutions are working towards how can we find a way to visualize and show our customers that the ai is getting better So in case of uh, one of our solutions where it's an AI assistant for a field technician mm-hmm. it uh, gives them prescriptive guidance on how they should perform the repair how many questions recommended by the AI, AI engine were accurate right so showing our customers that the accuracy of our AI solution is improving is one way that we have to we are quantifying and showing our value mm-hmm. so we're at a stage where we need to show a lot more value and justify our value a lot more mm-hmm. to our customers so we're looking at innovative ways and as to how we can do that is that the biggest challenge that you're facing now or that you feel or are there other challenges there are of course any challenges and not just designing but implementing a solution product management 101 is look at your users get obsessed with their with mm-hmm. your users find out what problems they're having so I would say that for me the word users is like a floating point in time. So initially if let's say I'm creating a solution for field technicians, I'm trying to find the best pain point for our field technicians. But once we've designed the solution, when you're deploying, we have a lot of business partners that we work with to implement these solutions for our clients. So my focus was on business partners. Mhm. 
was on trying to make sure that business partners are enabled, but trying to find out what challenges they're having. IoT solutions are different because mm-hmm. there are many layers involved in the solution. Right. So there's one layer at the hardware level. There's one layer at, okay, once you have the hardware, what technologies are you going to use for edge processing, for network connectivity? Then what cloud are you going to use? So the software layer is the third mm-hmm. layer. What will be the end application that you use what will be the processing engine that you will use or the cloud platform that you will use. So there are many different layers. So what we realized was a lot of our partners, unless they're a global system integrator or right. like, like a big shop like Accenture, my previous employer, they're focused on very specific areas. Like yep. you have a partner who has experience in the hardware, but you may not have the same partner with the deep AI skills that we yeah. need as well. So this was an area that, of course, wa- that was something that was top of mind. So we started a program called Partner with Partners, where we got all of our partners that were interested in solving the same problem in the room and got them to share what projects they've got, what engagements, what are the challenges, what are the skill needs. So getting them to collaborate and getting them to, I guess, have that peer learning was, I thought, invaluable. So another challenge that I had was the business partners, and then we introduced the Partner with Partner program, which so far seems to be very successful. We have three, four different partners now working together in a joint engagement and Mm -hmm. delivering a solution for our customer. So based on what you were just talking about with the layers and the different pieces and components and complexity involved there, and then also, you know, you hinted the projects that you're working on seem pretty large. Mm -hmm. Do you have a methodology that you use to manage that work and to manage the product? Or is everything just (laughs) all over the place or do the different components? So in other words, are you doing Scrum or, you know, are you doing anything that's a framework in the way that you think about it? So we try not to enforce mm-hmm. things, but um, we do have most of our projects working on an agile mm-hmm. methodology. So they do follow the Scrum mm-hmm. um, techniques that you mentioned. So the projects you're doing are using some form of agile methodology, or even if it's not rigid. Yes. I imagine you're working, you're doing multiple projects at once. During the design phase, I like to focus only on one product because I'm also working on the execution of the other products. So there's still sales support. There's still marketing that needs to be going. There's understanding how we're... Yeah, so how do you personally manage all of the different things that you're working on on a regular basis? I can say that it's a skill that I'm working on. I'm trying to get better at it because I know I'm not Uh where I'd like to be. You have so many dependencies. It seems like you have so many dependencies and other people and other departments that you rely on. Do you use any software for managing that or no? I use mind mapping tools currently for managing the different projects. I found that to be very effective because... Yeah, I've never used that before. How did you come about that? So I'm one of a paper and pen kind of person. Mm -hmm. Even while I was studying through undergrad, I'm very comfortable with drawing mind maps with different colors and trying Mm -hmm. to visualize things and draw graphics the way I want to. So for me now, I just have a tool. I have a piece of software solution that allows me to do what I used to do with paper and pencil. What I like about mind maps is you can dive deeper into different areas. So let's say I have a product. You mentioned that I have dependencies. So our dependencies, like we work hand in hand. Dependency means like one is higher than the other. Uh So I'm not sure if that's the best word, but I do need collaboration with different teams. So we have support, development, marketing, sales, 
So I like to have these functions in a template for every product. Mm-hmm. And then I draw trees on, okay, what, what item is spending? What item do I need to do with this? Mm-hmm. If I need to find out about a customer engagement that the sales team reached out to me about like a month ago, then I just add that as an item on my mm-hmm. mind map for sales. So that helps me look at where I'm at. Because mm-hmm. at any point in time, you know, if, if, if you're in a growing product that's now out in the market, you know that your focus should be on sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. If you're designing the product, you know your focus should be on dev. So I think have that high-level focus in mind and then go deeper. So, so the mind map tools helps me go deeper into any of those areas that I want yeah. to. And once a product is in the market, are you working on it and are your teams working on it iteratively? Yes. Based on feedback? So, again, yeah. every product manager is different. Yeah. We, of course, have continuous delivery releases. Mm-hmm. And um, the way uh, I like to go about it is every feature that we build should be built in collaboration with development partners. Mm-hmm. So we are working on, I mentioned the solution for field technicians. Mm-hmm. We're now coming up with a brand new feature on how to help them troubleshoot a problem. So how to go through the step-by-step decision-making and enable a technician to do that. So for this new feature that we're developing, I'm working with three different development partners who we continuously keep iterating the designs with. So we mm-hmm. collaborate with them on the designs. And then and, and then once we have their feedback, we're comfortable on where we want to go. We iteratively keep developing and showing them the real solution, mm-hmm. asking them if, if this feels like the right fit. So I would say... Find your beta customers. Find those development partners who will give you honest feedback. Yeah, and they're external to IBM. Yes. Our business partners and our salespeople, they're our eyes and ears in the market. So they continuously give us feedback on what features the market's asking for, what feature a competitor has, which we we don't have. So they they give us high-level requirements, but to translate them and to make sure that we are building the right things, we work with end customers. So this would be like if you're developing a solution for manufacturing, it's the steel manufacturing plant that we like to have this deployed in and the technicians or the end users using the solution. Yeah. So when you're working with a development partner who is the customer who's actually using your solution and you're getting feedback from them, how do you deal with incorporating that feedback. I'm sure some things seem urgent, some things seem non-urgent, some things might be nice to have, but maybe they don't have the business case for all of your development yes. partners. Yes. How do you organize all of that and synthesize it and make something happen? Okay, there is a small fraction of judgment that you need to do. Yeah. Because you need to use it with your best judgment to identify if you think this problem is scalable if this feature will help other customers mm-hmm. as well. So um, as you mentioned, we have a very we have very limited features we can develop in every um, sprint. So I would say first your judgment, and then if finding end customers, for example, is too time consuming, talk to sellers, talk, mm-hmm. to, talk to your business partners, talk to someone who has more experience than you, because I'm mm-hmm. not, I think, you will not be a successful product manager if you work by yourself. Like mm-hmm. You need to make sure you collaborate with people because there are so many people that are smarter than you. Yeah. So um, we have industry experts across our GBS teams. We have, our, of course, our IBM industry teams mm-hmm. as well. So I make sure that I, I leverage all the resources that we have internally if externally is a challenge. Mm-hmm. 
since I assume the projects are very big and the customers are relatively big, do you get some pressure to satisfy customer demands, even if it's not maybe the most important thing for the product? We have received pressure in the past. Mm -hmm. But in moments like that, you need to go back to what's the business case. Yeah. How big is this customer? How will that help my, for example, projections in the next year? And that is, Mm -hmm. yes, that is also one of the criteria as you're prioritizing different features. What is the business deployment model for customers? Are they, is it one-time payment or is it a recurring contract? So we recommend all of our customers use the crawl, walk, run approach. Mm-hmm. So, so first off, we won't recommend a production deployment to begin with. Yeah. So if it's a solution which is predicting the failure of assets, we'll start with the one or two most critical assets mm-hmm. in your plant and start from that see the response you're getting, measure it against your outcomes, and then move from a quick POC, which would be not not more than two to four weeks, to a pilot, Mm -hmm. which would now be a longer-term duration, and finally production. So I want to make sure I mention that because that's that's a big key uh, area here. And then, of course, with our deployment options, the natural journey is along with the progression of how you're connecting more assets. What we found really helpful is... We're now creating AI solutions which have a build time tool. So mm-hmm. there's a, with the training that needs to be done, to perform that training, we create a compiler or the build time tool, and we make that usable by someone on your plant for. So our vision for our customers is not that they would always need services teams to implement it across the entire plant floor. Our vision is to work with their subject matter experts, so their equipment managers or their reliability engineers should be able to train our system. So when we enter, we, of course, have our implementation partners, but we like to work hand-in-hand with their teams, and we would like them to continue scaling the solution across different assets. Yeah. Cool. So before we wrap up, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? I think the only thing that I would recommend for your audience is find a problem. When I hear startup pitches, for example, I, I, see, I hear entrepreneurs say, hey, we're using the best AI and the best analytics. No, that's not what you should start off with. Start off with what's the business problem? What technology do you need to support that business problem right, and make sure you're doing it better than anybody else. Well, I think that that's great advice. I think that one of the things that we at ThoughtBot struggle with is when you do that, you don't always end up as AI being the solution to the problem, especially exactly. not the first solution. Exactly. And so there are a lot of either customers who come to us or times where we set out and we say, what's the problem we're solving here? And it turns out we can do something very simple to just make a small improvement that doesn't use machine learning or AI. I assume that there's probably been things you've come across (laughs) as well where you say, you know what, AI is not the solution to this problem. It's interesting. And I'm going to take that one step Mm -hmm. further and say, in some cases, IoT is also not the solution. Mm -hmm. So we've worked with customers where you can just take the data in their asset management system. So I mentioned Maximo very briefly, but mm-hmm. you can take the data that they have in their systems, run, think of it as level one analytics on mm-hmm. it. So run level one analytics and it will help them 
get some outcomes which will help them in their decision-making processes. So, yes, you don't need AI. In some cases, you don't even need the IoT data unless you want that extensive amount of instrumentation, unless you want to measure the health of your assets at a more deeper level. Mm-hmm. I would say take what you have and let's look at if that's good enough to solve the problem that you mm-hmm. want. So this is actually core for the product managers because our IoT solutions they don't need you to have IoT connectivity. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you do not have sensors. You just need data. You need data, right? exactly. And a lot of times, we leverage the data from their systems, so their enterprise asset management systems, and use that to perform our analysis. Mm-hmm. In all of our projects, our new step one is data assessment. Mm-hmm. So we start with, is your data good enough to run analyses on? If it's not, we'll recommend actions that the customer can take to improve the health of the data, but we won't go ahead with the implementation because it won't be a good fit. Does that happen a lot? The majority of our customers now have good workable data is what I would say. It's it's an outlier for a customer to have completely empty (laughs) data sets. This data might be in spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. This data might be in extensive systems. This data might be in different data silos, but they do, in most cases, have data. If people want to learn more about IBM Watson IoT, where's the best place to do that? I think IBM.com would be the best place to start because there you can find not just more information about our AI and the solutions that we offer there, but you can also find our pointed solutions across industries and you can make sure you check out Watson IoT (laughs) and all of the interesting offerings that we have there. And if people want to follow you or get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Twitter or LinkedIn would be the best places. Mm -hmm. You can find me on Twitter at just Hina, and you can find me by my name, Hina Purohit, on LinkedIn. Hina, thank you so much for uh, coming, stopping by the studio, and sharing your experience. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Chad. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm, and you can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.